0: Thank you uh, very, very much, Tim. Uh, Thank you for that. Right, um, wonderful. Welcome to those of you who have uh, turned up uh, uh, since we started. It's great to see more of you here uh, with us this morning. uh, just uh, <clears throat> two quick notices <clears throat> I've said the first one, please feel free, join, uh, feel free to join us after the service in Spilow Park just for chat um, and furthermore as I've said it's, it's great to be able to meet more indoors as well, we're able to stay and chat for a little bit longer um, but it'd be good um, f- to f- finish some of those conversations outdoors where we can, especially just so that we're not blocking the roads as well, the, the pavements. so we um, get to love our community uh, well in that way, please do join us for that after the service and continue your conversations and, and, and for those of you who are new, the Redeemerites will show you down and, uh, and, and the They'll, um, they'll chat to you um, over the course of, of those, uh, those times after the service. Um, and secondly, I do want to give a little bit of a fuller update as to our, the, the guidance and the stuff that's changing over these few weeks. Forgive me if this is a bit wordy, um, <clears throat> but I do want to spend a little bit of time on this. A lot more will be said over the course of this week uh, through um, the email uh, as us as leaders and some of the admin staff as well meet up and go through what that looks like. Um, As we know, uh, as of tomorrow, um, broadly, all social distancing in in all kinds of capacities and areas will be uh, 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 removed, which is very, very welcome, I know, but it is also, for um, some of us, quite scary. uh, And and I really, really appreciate that. And I want you to know that we're going to Make sure that we bring everyone along with us as we sort of um, go through what these new uh, guidance uh, uh, looks like for us as we get uh, used to being uh, closer together on site and and what that looks like. Putting the right things in place to make sure that we're safe. If you are particularly very worried about that, then please, please do let me know. Uh, Give me a ring. Ring ring me personally. Speak to me. And um, we want to make sure that that you are heard and that we're doing the right things as we set out the building uh, ready for that. However, it does mean that um, as of tomorrow, therefore by next Sunday, we will be getting rid of our Sunday morning groups and reverting back to all meeting on site. All the time, which is a great, great joy. That's that's exactly what we're here to do. We're here to um, um, meet as a church together, all of us, kids and adults, as a big family, and that is what we seek to do as we begin to come out of these uh, restrictions. So we won't be using those Sunday groups anymore uh, until maybe we might have to use them again, which we're very aware of um, as we hit winter. We, we know that. We're very aware that some of these restrictions obviously uh, might come back. We do all have to be masked, that is a legal requirement in Scotland. Um, Unfortunately, that's not a choice we have. We have to be masters. becoming we come in on site. Um, so that'll continue, I think, for, for quite a while. We also do need to have some measure of test and trace system in place. <clears throat> I think it'll look very different. All the churches that I've spoken to, the churches in the area, the churches that we would be linked with in the city... That'll be now more of a, a, a self-service check-in, if you like, um, and there'll be QR codes which you will have to scan as you come in or during the service or as you leave, um, dotted around the place, and that'll be your responsibility uh, to, to, to check in. Uh, for those of you who don't have that capacity, <clears throat> smartphones, etc. cetera, w- um, those of you who are members will know who of you are on site and we have your details and we'll let you know as and when, um, God willing, it doesn't happen, but 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 if if we're sort of caught with a COVID case. Uh, those who are visitors will ask to scan as well and or grab their details as they leave, if If they're unable to do that. We want to make sure it's safe, but we also want to make sure that it is as welcoming, as easy as possible to get people on site um, over the course of these uh, few weeks and months. As for rotors, we're going to stick with the rotor system that we have at the moment. That'll change and flex organically over time as we begin to bring more people in where we need to. And as we're aware of the numbers who are upstairs and on-site, et cetera, et cetera, that'll become a much easier process, I hope. Um, But let's stick with the rotors that you have at the moment and and we'll slowly add people in um, where where they are needed. Um, And and we'll make sure that um, when we do change things, that obviously it's well communicated to you. Also, it would be great to have the kids back on site with us. That is our aim, to have the kids back on site right at the beginning of the service as a four-church family and for them to leave halfway through. We do want to make sure that all that is conveyed and communicated well. It might be for some reasons that might not be the case next week, um, but we will make sure that the right people uh, are in the know as to what's happening and that all of you are, av- are aware of where you're dropping off your kids and what the, that new system <coughs> uh, looks like. Also in terms of the term diary, I've sort of been holding off on this until we're aware of some of the things that we're able to do. um, I'm hoping to get that out to you in the next two weeks. We'll be starting our new series in in 1 Peter in, in, in two weeks' time. Uh, that, that is our plan and we'll be going through that um, in in our Sunday mornings and in um, our small groups as well but a lot more will be said on that over the course of the next few weeks, especially as you as home groups, obviously now with no social distancing rules in place, can meet up together in homes and in, um, and in the church as well um, so we won't need to rely on Zoom as much which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Again, we understand that people might be quite nervous about that so we want to work with you and your small group leaders through how that looks like and, and the things that, that, that we're able Um, um, to do together. It is a great, great place to get to, and we're very thankful uh, to a good God who has kept us um, um, through through these two two years, up until this point, able to meet back uh, together again. Um, But we know that a lot of these things might revert back over the course of the winter. We're very aware of that, and so we trust in a good God. We depend on him to get us through whatever these next stages of life uh, look like, and we're going to work hard um, at making sure that we get it all right and that you know exactly uh, what is going on. Wonderful. Great. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Well, Iwen is going to read for us. Thank you, Iwen, from Psalm uh, 23. That's great. The
1: Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very, very much, Iwen. well, before we uh, get into that, um, and, and before we hear another reading, we're, we're going to sing the whole of that psalm together. Psalm 23, the Lord is uh, my shepherd. After the psalm, uh, Moira is going to come up and pray uh, and read for us. You're not going to pray, Moira, you're going to read, you're gonna read uh, from John's Gospel, uh, uh, chapter 10, the second reading, and, and then I'll come up and, and speak uh, for us from Psalm 23. But let's stand and sing together um, as David and Emily lead us, Psalm 23. Thanks, guys.
2: The Lord's my shepherd I'll not want He makes me lie In pastures green He leads me by The still, still waters His goodness restores my soul And I will try Yeah.
1: The second reading today is coming from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father,
0: Wonderful. Thank you very, very much, <clears throat> Moira. Thank you to David and Emily for singing and playing <clears throat> for us. It's great that we can sing with you. Um, it's, a, it's a real joy that that can happen. And thank you, Han, very much for keeping us uh, right this morning, um, tech-wise. <clears throat> well, let me pray for us as we look at Psalm 23 together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your goodness to us in the gospel. Thank you for uh, these familiar passages that warm our hearts. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, it would be as, it was new, as if it was new to us, This morning, help us uh, for this psalm not to wash over us, but to sink into its wonder and its reality as we see what it means to be kept under the Good Shepherd. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Well, welcome to uh, Psalm 23, that very well known uh, part of the Bible. Psalm 23, I reckon, almost certainly sits in the sort of very famous box of those verses that most people would know or at least recognize. Uh, from the Bible. I don't think it's wrong to say that Psalm 23 has been a favorite of many humans for for thousands of years. And because of that fact, it has brought comfort as well to many hundreds of millions of people worldwide. And that is because it has, uh, more importantly, I think, helped these same men and women and, and children to feel truly human, I would argue that's what's going on in this psalm. It makes us feel truly human, not least very specifically, I think, in the valley of the shadow of death, the place where often our humanity and safety and security feels most threatened. But today, if anyone still knew what was in it, I wonder if we really thought about the content of this well-known psalm, whether we would see this poem as a, 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 a part of the problem of religion and Christianity in particular and its relationship with humanity. In fact, I would go so far as to say that Psalm 23 might almost be seen as abusive to the postmodern idea of being human. Now, over the past uh, few weeks, as uh, you know, those of you who have been here Over the summer, we've gone through some of the Psalms in book one of the Psalms, and we've been thinking about what it means to be human. That is the question that these Psalms pose. We saw it literally asked last week in Psalm 8 what is man? What does it mean to be human? More specifically, what does it mean to be a very happy human, a blessed and fulfilled human? And as the Psalms give one very particular answer to that question, and we're going to come back to that in a minute, today's view, I think, the, the, the answer that the secular world would give this morning to that question, it is radically different from the Psalms. For in today's world, I think that, 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 that a human person is entirely self-made and supremely independent, Requiring no authority over us to tell us what we uh, what we do and cannot do, and what we can or cannot be. Now I think we've uh, moved beyond the idea of sort of the idea of being a self-made man or a self-made woman, someone who who doesn't need your money but have made their own way in the world from pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. That's sort of what that term used to mean, doesn't it? The sort of "I don't need your money, I don't need your charity. Thank you very much. I've I've done it myself." I am, I am self-made, I am proud, and I am independent, needing no other external charity or wealth inheritance. Uh, I, I'm self-made. And I think we've moved beyond that idea of being self-made to, to, to a very new idea in our world of being self-made. For, for the, the, the post-modernist talks of not being self-made in terms of money and status, but in terms of humanity itself. We now don't just make our own money, But we are now allowed to make our own humanity, our own identity. I can literally be whoever I want to be. The self-generated person today means that I don't need anything out of myself or or anything outside of my own conscious uh, feelings. I am who I want to be today. I can do anything I set out to do. Tomorrow, I may be someone completely different, and no one is going to tell me anything else. And any external influence can only be abusive if it is trying to, to interfere and disagree with what I feel that I am and who I say that I am. You see, a human being, according to Western secular theology today, is, is merely a collection of ruling feelings, self-made and independent, totally without authority, But over the summer, we've taken four Psalms that ask the same question. What is a human being? What is a happy, successful human being? And the Bible's answer could not be more different to that. A human being is not self-made, says the Bible, but a human being was created by God, we read. And that means we're not really independent at all. It means we're entirely contingent. That means we need something or someone outside of us to to, to make us or to give us significance and guidance and control and meaning and purpose. And each psalm we've looked at have focused on on one benefit, mainly with being in right relationship with that being, with our creator God. That is the one benefit of being truly human, and that is that that, that the created contingent human being who, who knows that that is what they are, and who turns to God and lives, Psalm 1 and 2, the blessed life. Therefore, Psalm 8 being deeply noticed and cared for by the one at the heart of the universe, can be led to this week, Psalm 23, humans who find that we are kept and safe in all settings of life by the good and divine authoritative shepherd. That is what it means to be human, says the Bible, contingent on God, and therefore blessed, noticed, and kept. And I think we as 21st century humans instinctively hate that idea. <clears throat> we hate the reality that's written into our DNA, that's written into our ideals and our dreams, our loves. Uh, but, but, but I think few will notice or few will face up to the fact that, that with the rejection of what is true about humanity as displayed in the Bible comes a, a, re, a, a reduction in human life as we can experience it. So what does the postmodernist fill the answer of that question of what is human with? The contingent human being can be noticed and kept and cared for by the God outside of themselves, but but in reality, and diametrically opposed to that, it makes sense that the self-made, independent person who doesn't want any part of that kind of life, will only really finds himself alone and unloved and unnoticed and insignificant and uncared for. And the God of the Bible says, the God of Psalm 23 says, I desperately want you to be loved and known and cared for. For as this Psalm 23 uh, shows us, as the whole of the Bible shows us, the love, the care, and the security for humanity, for humans, comes from, very simply, us knowing that we are sheep. And from God alone being our shepherd. And from verse one of this psalm, we feel the loss of our independence immediately, don't we? Um, it's lovingly and s- sort of stripped away from us with the words, The Lord is my shepherd, I am his sheep, in other words. And the question is, do we want that or not? Do we think that's a good thing or not? The world may listen to that and go, absolutely not. I despise that reality. I want my own independence, my own authority. But the Bible, and this psalm in particular, says, please listen for just a moment. Because it really, really is a good thing that the Lord of the universe is our king and our shepherd. And it's a really, really good thing that we are nothing but his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. Those words have brought many People comfort across the world for millennia because the reality is that, regardless of maybe our worldview, the idea of a good, loving shepherd is supremely attractive. The comfort comes from the truth that the external good God cares for you like a good shepherd cares for his flock. It's a very simple analogy. The shepherd who will move you around, who will lead you and guide you and, and defend you and, and, and arrange where you're going and, and prepare things for you so that it's ready when you get there and, and, and who will love you. Even the most anti authoritarian of us will, even on a small level, find that deeply attractive. At least we would ask, well, if only. Having someone in authority over you, in other words, as much as we may despise the idea in the West, it is not a bad thing. I want to be looked after. We don't want to be alone. We just don't. And in the Bible, most especially in this psalm, comfort and authority go hand in hand, you see. Which is the big issue of this series. Is there something about us as humans which means we need authority to function properly and to be truly human? One of the most uh, successful RAF pilots in the Second World War was a man called Leonard Cheshire. He is still, I think, one of the RAF's youngest ever-serving officers, and he became the most highly decorated pilot when he was awarded the Victoria Cross in 1944. And his colleagues thought he was an amazing leader and someone who obviously deeply respected authority over him. But before the war, he was a complete and total waste of space, He was just not a very good human being at all. He was likely to go absolutely nowhere in life. He despised authority, it rankled him. His life was almost tragic. And then using Cheshire's own words, he says, the war gave me a motive for life and an authority to live under. And how human is that sentiment? He he eventually said that, that war itself was a despicable thing. It was the authority that gave him satisfaction. But how human is that sentiment about authority? The question is, can we really live well, truly independently? Can we really live well, truly alone? Or do we need an authority to live under that gives us protection and purpose and direction? Well, this is where we enter Psalm 23, as we uh, first look at the life under authority in our psalm, the, the, the shepherded life if you like. And that's point one. The first thing we see in this psalm is that the shepherd, this shepherd, truly cares for you. And this shepherd cares for you, the psalmist said, in three different settings. The first setting is the normal everyday life. In normal everyday life, and the, these things will come up on the screen behind me, in normal everyday life, the shepherd provides everything the sheep needs. I shall not want, says the psalmist. Uh, the sheep, I as a sheep, will have water and grass and restoration and peace. And anyone who knows anything about shepherding knows that it's all about knowing when to move the sheep and knowing when to put out the feed and knowing when to get them to follow you and anticipating that the thousands of ways stupid sheep get into serious trouble. When we were on holiday... Uh, A few weeks back, uh, Jen and I sat down with my parents and every night we watched an episode of a documentary about Jeremy Clarkson, I don't know if any of you have seen this, as he tries to farm the farm that he owns. He's owned a farm for years, he's had um, um, farmers that have sort of lent out the land, his farmers have all retired, and he decides to take up the mantle and to farm himself. It's called Clarkson's Farm and you can imagine the kind of ridiculous hijinks that Jeremy Clarkson gets up to as he attempts to farm his own farm. He's a total novice. He's hopelessly naive. He's uh, hilariously slapdash. He's, He's deliberately ridiculous. And you do actually learn a lot about farming along the way. It's incredibly insightful. But the most profound moments of the whole series is when Clarkson decides to get sheep and become a sheep farmer. And the hijinks and the hilarity gives way very quickly to moments of genuine fear and concern, and worry, and a real sense of loss, as Clarkson literally spends most of his waking moments, and nearly all of his sleeping ones, merely trying to keep these animals alive. He genuinely cries when two ewes have to be put down. He sits with a mother ewe all night who can't give birth. He takes a lamb in that's been rejected by his mother. He breaks into a sweat when he tries to move them to pasture land, knowing that predators have been spotted in his fields, his fences aren't up to it, he's got to move them. It's all very, very high risk. And at one point, he makes the following comment. He says, sheep are both supremely stupid and supremely disobedient, and I have to be around them all the time, otherwise they would all die. I need to do everything for them, he says exasperatedly. Sheep are also, it turns out, totally unprofitable. It takes far more money to keep sheep than they give back through through anything that they can, through their milk, their fur, their grazing, their, their meat. Clarkson makes an enormous loss on his sheep. And yet he says, poignantly, as he looks out over his field, this is the happiest I have ever been, as he looks after his sheep. Clarkson's whole life became a life of finding for these sheep pasture lands and and still waters. At one point, he he has to literally carry ferry water in trucks from another part of his land because of the heat wave in 2020, just to keep them watered. All day he spends on that. He loses thousands and thousands of pounds worth of money a day trying to do that. That is what the Good Shepherd does for humans, for us, his sheep. That's the picture of just how cared for we are. And if Jeremy Clarkson, of all people, can find looking after his sheep such an emotional thing, claiming these impossible and grateful, stupid, disobedient animals to be the source of his real happiness in life as he sacrifices money and time and holidays on them purely to keep them breathing, how much more so does the good shepherd, the God of creation, love and care for and sacrifice for us? As human sheep who are made even more significant and known and noticed. Just a little lower than the angels, psalmate, that's what we read. By that same God himself. And our good shepherd does it for a very secure reason, much more secure than, than shepherd Jeremy Clarkson looks after his sheep. Verse 3, why does God do this? God gives us water and pasture land. Verse 3 He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He looks after me in every single way. In other words, why? For His name's sake. God shepherds, and He shepherds well, so that He will be known as the Good Shepherd, because He needs to be known as the Good Shepherd. That means it doesn't depend on me how good His shepherding is. Can you see? doesn't depend on me as a sheep. It doesn't depend on me being a good sheep or, or a particularly valuable, well-behaved, or especially obedient sheep. Or sheep are none of those things. He does it because he is the good shepherd. It's just who he is. And the way he treats us is the name by which he will be known for the whole of eternity. The, the two go hand in hand. The two are inextricably linked. He's not someone who is sometimes a good shepherd. Unlike Jeremy Clarkson, for whom being a shepherd is not what he's known for. He, he's a TV personality. He's a presenter. He's a petrol head. He's got three houses in London. He's got lots of fingers and lots of other pies. That's not what God is. God is known for being the good shepherd. I will be known for this job. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. So it's normal life. The shepherd looks after. That's the first setting. The shepherd looks after his sheep. But what are the second setting? Well, that's found in verse 4. Not just normal life does the shepherd protect, but also through tremendously difficult life. Verse 4, even though I walk, says the psalmist, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and and your staff, they comfort me. I think the real reason that millions of people have been comforted by this psalm, because there's nothing sentimental or false about it. This is what trusting God looks like in good times and in bad times, cared for at every single stage in life and trouble and death and then into an eternal future. That's a very realistic journey of the psalm that through whatever life brings, you are to trust the shepherd. He's still there in all of it. And again, there's a reason that we can face evil or dark days without fear for a very serious reason. For the middle of verse four, you are with me. The shepherd doesn't sort of send off his sheep into the the, the valley of the shadow of death. Guys, gosh, I really hope you get through to the other side of this. I'll meet you at the other end. He's with you. He's over you, alongside us, in front of me. I'm not alone in this valley. And we know that. We're comforted by that because the rest of verse 4, because this shepherd carries a rod and staff in his hands. What does that mean? Well, they are of supreme comfort. He comforts with them. That's the tools that the shepherd uses to drive off the wolf and the robber. And only the good shepherd will do that. It's that kind of shepherd that is with me in verse 4, the one who defends and protects me. In our New Testament reading in in John that Moira read for us, that's the difference we read between the good shepherd and a bloke in a field with some sheep, isn't it? When the wolf comes, the good shepherd will walk towards danger, while the hired hand, well, he'll just run away. He's not interested. And isn't that a picture of the real world being found in real places of danger? Often we'll hear of people who, who claim to be Christians, but, but but fell away from faith because, because their grandmother died, or, or they got severely ill, or they failed miserably. They They didn't get the grades that they wanted, the university place they wanted, or the job, or the spouse that they desired and prayed for. That's very much my testimony of my personal life of coming to faith. Almost calling it quits on God because I was severely ill, having lost everything I worked towards, never to get it back. The argument being, well, if this is who God is, then why on earth bother? because I found myself in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not meant to be here. Therefore, God surely can't exist, or or at best, he's not good for me. Well, that's just not a helpful way of thinking, is it? Because that understanding of the good shepherd isn't lived in the real world. That's an understanding lived in a fantasy world. The psalm writer here simply doesn't live in the same world as that person, in the same world that I lived all those years ago. The the psalm writer lives in the real world, where, where everyone's grandmother will die. where everyone will live and walk in death's shadow for much of the time. As we have experienced these months as a church family, of some of you going through it right right now. Well, the psalmist says that God is trustworthy through that, through trouble and darkness and death, and the person of the psalm knows that God is with them through it. But even more than that being true, verses 5 and 6, you also know that the Good Shepherd is taking us somewhere beyond death. Where if we die, though or those we love die, then there is something more. And that's the final setting of three. Not only does a good shepherd look after everyday life, not only does he look after us in the valley of the shadow of death, but he also looks after us in and through and for eternity. verse 5, this, this banqueting table that seems to be set out in front of the enemies. The, the table, the oil and the cup, they're all symbols and emblems of, of the final vindication. They are set out like a banqueting table in front of our enemies, where they are forced to see what God has done for us in the end. And verse 6 moves from goodness and mercy all the days of my life here on earth to life in the future where I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may have heard it said that the Old Testament doesn't really do or believe in life after death, but what it emphatically does, especially in the Psalms, God is not the good shepherd unless he can lead us beyond death, unless he can lead us into his house forever. And looking at the psalm, you can argue that the sheep thing is actually the least successful sustained metaphor in the whole of the history of poetry at this point. That there's souls and righteousness being talked about, verse 3. By verse 5, the sheep are holding cups of wine and they're drinking at a table. And that is because this psalm is obviously unashamedly talking about us. The, The good shepherd cares for us human sheep. Sheep like humans. And the good shepherd takes us to where we need to be as human beings, where we long to be with him forever. But the psalm ends with an emphasis beyond death. That is not only what we wish for, but which we are sure about. Surely, says the psalmist, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life surely then I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Surely. It's a, it's a sure thing. It's a, it's a forever thing. It's a known thing. None of us here, none of us, know the experience of death. It is unknown to every single one of us in this room. But we are sure that our shepherd will take us through it. For sure and forever. So in life and in death and into an eternal future, there is someone who knows about you and cares about you and is actively working hard to bring you home. You can see why hundreds of millions of people have prayed these words, even on their deathbeds. My my grandfather did. This is what he he died um, um, saying. Though notice as we move on that the benefits of this psalm are unavoidably paternalistic, aren't they? They come from an authority figure who knows us so well and who gives us everything that we need, even if it isn't necessarily what we want. Sheep tend to stray, willingly and willfully, into into fast traffic or whatever. That seems to be what, what they want to do. That's where they want to go. And the good shepherd knows that they can't have those things that they want, otherwise they'll die. And so he restricts their freedoms and leads them back where it's safe. Can you see it's clear in verse 3, the, the soul's restoration isn't just about water and grass, it's about finding safe paths of righteousness to walk in. And that's very similar to Psalm 1, isn't it, if you cast your mind back about six weeks? The blessed life is the tree with roots buried into what God says so that we can be different to the world and to the wicked and, and bear real fruit. This psalm is not just about Happy sheep, it's about righteous, morally right sheep before God. And those two things are always linked in the Psalms. The two always go hand in hand, righteousness and happiness. It's actually a great way, generally, to tell whether something is sinful or not. In general, something sinful is exciting to begin with, and then that wears off, and you need more of that same thing to keep the original buzz until it eventually becomes empty and meaningless, and it leaves you empty and meaningless, and, and your soul needs restoring. And vice versa, when you're onto a good thing, a righteous thing, it can feel like a slog, a, a real chore, a hassle, a burden almost, an effort to get going. But eventually the more you have of it, the better it feels, the more satisfied you are about how you spent your day, your your holiday, your, your working life. It's clear in verse six this authority is the bringer of this life of blessing. True blessing, you see, is to be with and under the shepherd. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is a blessed position to be in. I wonder when we think about heaven, we sort of think about it as as somewhere we sort of just go to and and, and honestly, I'd just much rather be on my own. I'd much rather have my own space. I'm not I don't want to be fussing around God and being with other people. There are some people I don't like, even people in church. I just, you know, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather just be on my own. Well, the psalmist says the very best place for the sheep is to be with him, the good shepherd. And if that can be for sure and forever, well, surely that is the fulfilment of a human life. The total fulfilment of a human life. Comfort and true good authority go hand in hand. Happiness and true good righteousness go hand in hand. And all of those things are found only in this good ruling shepherd as he also becomes the sure, true, and good destination of filled humanity. Which brings us back to most people's hatred of authority where we started with. And it is, hatred that, and it is a hatred that, that seems to make sense most of the time, doesn't it? When you see politicians lining their pockets or abusing their power, still demanding that you vote for them, how dare they? When you see the church, Catholic and Protestant, covering up years of abuse to protect itself, still demanding homage from the masses, how dare they? When you see bankers and corporations making financial decisions that benefit them greatly but drive millions of others into poverty, still demanding your allegiance and your monthly subscription, how dare they? The rejection and hatred of this authority makes sense. We hate authority that protects itself rather than the weak, that covers up guilt rather than brings harm to itself. We, we, we and we ask, don't we? What, what, what rights do you have to do those things? Would it just not be safer to be on my own and independent, regardless of who you are, whether you claim to be doing good or bad? Would it not just be safer to be on my own? No one gets hurt. Well, that is where we need to think about who it is that prays this psalm, which is our second point, much shorter. This shepherd is truly very, very different. You see, even uh, though this psalm is read and prayed by millions of civilians, this psalm was written by a king. And it was written about how a king thinks about his God. It was uh, written by a very unusual sheep, if you like. Um, You go back to verse one, you can read the subscription above it. You read a psalm of David. David was famously a shepherd boy, but even more famously, God took him from minding the sheep and made him shepherd over my people Israel. That's what he says of David, made him king. And in the Middle East, back in David's day, it was common parlance for kings to be called shepherds. And so when contemporary readers of this psalm read this, the Lord is my shepherd, they know they are reading, the Lord is my king. And the normal Israelite who prays this psalm knows that they are following the example of David himself as they pray this psalm, whose military career beats Leonard Cheshire's into a cocked hat. He went from being the leader of a tiny resistance group to the emperor of a great power in the central Middle East. And this great King David, he wants us to know that he is led and comforted and shepherded by an even greater king. The eternal Lord of the universe. That is why you should trust and follow this true king, says David. This true shepherd. And and, and any human authority is only trustworthy by the extent that it recognizes the supreme authority of the God who made all of us. Which brings us to the reading from John. This gives us a picture of another king, doesn't it? Who clearly had reflected on this psalm? David was a shepherd emperor and he founded a line of shepherd emperors, but his descendant, Jesus, is far greater than David. He is the shepherd emperor over stars and planets, above all human beings. The king to whom King David himself was talking about, the authority to whom King David bowed before. I am the good shepherd says Jesus Christ. Psalm 23 is talking all about me. And as we see Jesus taking the mantle of this perfect shepherd in Psalm 23, so do you see that every other human system of authority is flawed and will always tend to overreach and abuse its power. It should rightly be called to account, especially if that authority claims to be Christ's representative on earth. for the right criticism of any system of earthly authority, well, those criticisms do not apply to Jesus Christ himself, the king of the universe. Why? Because Jesus, the king, this shepherd, is a very different kind of authority. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells you why he's different and why you should trust him, even if you've been put off from every single authority in your life even if you have been mercilessly bruised by bad government, by abuse in church leadership, by the hand of an unloving father. For Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, who does not angrily lord it over individuals and demand things and crushes people, not at all. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus, the shepherd king, and I lay my life down for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus, the shepherd king, and I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as I know the Father in heaven and the Father knows me. And so I lay down my life for my sheep. Jesus is not like any authority on the face of the earth. He is radically different. He is the authority who, rather than lords it over people, submits himself to serving his creation and his citizens and then dies for them at hands and Jesus has the only true legitimacy of authority as he does so as God's son I know the father and the father knows me says Jesus he hasn't stolen or grabbed this authority he leads by example as the only human being ever to have walked in the paths of righteousness consistently you see He sympathizes in the battle against temptation and sin and the trouble of death. He he experiences all of that. He he sets the perfect example of trusting God for the worst of times. And he proves that he is with us and for us when he doesn't just fight the wolf on our behalf, but is killed by the wolf on our behalf in our place. When he dies in our place on the cross to pay the price for all our sheep-like wandering, and he has proved that he is the right and divine authority by conquering death, raising from the grave, and therefore opening the door to his father's house for all those who will trust in him and follow him there. Jesus, you see, is a very different kind of authority, a very different kind of shepherd. You can trust him. There is no right modern objection to abusive authority that is not met in the life example of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. With Jesus, you are only left with a stark choice, Am I more human if I subject myself to him? Or am I betraying my independence if I let anyone rule over me and I'm going to go it alone? Which brings us back finally to the question that we've been looking at after all these weeks. That's our final point. So, when all is said and done, what is man? What is a human being? What are we really? How are we designed to live? And how do we live best? And I think there is no denying in the world that human society works best when there is good and sacrificial authority. I think we all know that. We know that in our teams at work, in our families, in anything we've ever done where there's been anything at stake at all. Good sacrificial authority works best all the time. And and despite our armchair anti-authoritarianism, we all of us long to be led like that. As one person in a chaotic meeting I once attended at university shouted out in a fit of pique, please will someone take charge? We need to be led. We know that we are creatures desperate to be led even if our worldview tells us otherwise. We know it is dangerous chaos otherwise. And Psalm 23 describes a wonderful, comforting way to live. And there is no denying that human society would better if we had this kind of authority following a leader, a shepherd who knows you by name, personally, not faceless and distant like our political leaders, but with you, protecting you, defending you, ready and willing to die for you. Final question as we close is, does this really reflect reality or not? In that, have we invented the presence of God just to make us feel better? That's what some people might say at the end of this talk. Sounds amazing, Sam, but we've just sort of um, made this good authority figure up in in an evolutionary construct, someone that we as humans invented as a way to make us more purposeful and keep us going in life, to make us feel better. Or on the flip side, have the secular world, have we invented the absence of God to make us feel like we can do whatever we want, to make us feel unaccountable, to make us feel better. And it's a stark choice, isn't it? And it's easy as Christians to be pushed backwards on this by someone who says, well, authority is bad. We make it all up because we just can't function on our own. Well, lovingly push back and, and say no. Human beings are contingent beings. We didn't make ourselves. That's obvious. You know that to be true. It's written in our history, in our DNA, in our behaviors, our loves and concerns. Why are we bothered by other people's suffering? Because we're truly significant. We're not just a bag of cells. We have been created. And we want to be ruled and submit to a leader like Jesus. Who wouldn't? And that that is a wonderful, life-increasing human thing to do. So what is man? What is woman? What is a human? A human is blessed, Psalm 1 and 2, if we put down roots into what God has said. A human is noticed, Psalm 8, and given significance beyond all reckoning for what is just an animal, a bag of skin full of chemicals that the God of universe makes significant and then knows and cares for. And a human is kept, Psalm 23 looked after and shepherded and brought through to a place beyond death where our soul will be restored for eternity if only we follow the good shepherd. Let me pray for us as we close. Father God, thank you so very, very much for your words to us. Thank you for this well-known psalm. Thank you for the comfort that it has given to so many people. And I pray, heavenly Father, that it would comfort us here this morning. It would comfort us in, 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 in our wanderings as to who we are, how we are made, what we are here for. Heavenly Father, may this give us real joy as we see that we are significant, that we are known, that we are noticed, that we are created, that we are loved, that someone was willing to die for us and that someone is willing to lead us to paths everlasting through the valley of the shadow of death, never leaving us, never forsaking us, and to eternity. Heavenly Father, God, please, please, may we be struck again by the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we want to know him more, may we want to live his ways more, may we want to follow him and may we want to tell people about him as we invite people to see the wonder of the good shepherd, how loved and blessed and kept and eternal we are as we follow him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us and rose again for us. Father, we pray that this would warm our hearts this morning. May we go from here blessed and known and kept and for those people who are really wrestling with these issues of faith, Lord, may they see that all they need to do is come to the Lord Jesus now, ask for forgiveness of sins, and be known to him as his sheep and guided into everlasting life. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.